God has his part, and we have our part. Amen? See, I can get a whole lot of amens on that. Because, see, we want it all to be in God's hand. I was preaching in a, in a church in Kansas oh, about a year or so ago, and I talked about that, our part and God's part. And this woman, I could tell while I was talking, she was really upset. She was, she was angry, and she came to me and the pastor afterwards. She said, I don't like that. I don't want any of the responsibility on me. And I said, well, sorry, folks. God will do the miracle. We do our best, and God does the rest. But if we don't do our part, we are co-laborers with God. If we don't do our part, God can deliver us of the problem. But if we don't do our part, the problem not only comes back, but it brings its mother-in-law and the in-laws and seven times worse than it was before. God will clean the room up, but we've got to labor with him and partner with him to close the door. See, and that's true in everything. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the Lord of the harvest. But you have to sow seed for the Lord of the harvest to bring a harvest in. God's a healer. But the Bible says that we're to lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil. Why? Does God need us? Yes. Why? Because he said so. So we are co-laborers with God. I want to teach you now seven steps to keeping the, the, the door shut so that this thing can't come back in and won't come back in and so that we're not only delivered, but we're moving from here to our victory. Number one, the buck stops here. Now, what that means is, is first off, is that in order to stay free, in order to get free and stay free, number one, you have to admit you have a problem. Now, that sounds simple, but folks, we live in a day and age of denial. How many know the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Not only is Jesus the same, but the devil is the same yesterday and today. But if we understand, you know, Paul didn't say to be afraid of the devil. He just said, be aware of the devil, the wiles, the strategies of the devil. And one of the great strategies that's happening in our society today is blame your mom, blame your dad, blame this, blame that. No, the buck stops with you. Remember when Samuel came to David? And said, David, what would you do if this guy did this? He, David said, why, I would kill the guy. What a jerk. And the prophet said, and David, you're the dude that did the deed. No excuses. So if we're going to be delivered and stay delivered, number one is we have to admit we have a problem. Remember when Jesus was having supper with the 12 disciples and he said, one of you has a problem. And every one of them said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And I'll bet you a dollar to a donut hole, gang, Judas said, is it me? And he knew it was him. Because he later said, he said, Judas, what you going to do? Go and do quickly. And there's a lot of times that we minister things, and, you know, we've got thousands of people out there. And you know that there are people out there that they really need this. And they're nodding their hand, and you can see their brains going, that's right, Pastor, tell those folks what's wrong with them. And I want to stop and say, no, I'm talking to you. You're the one I'm talking. I made this whole sermon. All the other 6,000 don't need to hear this. You need to hear this. So number one is we need to admit we've got a problem. Quit ignoring it. I couldn't help but think of a humorous illustration when we were living over in uh, Australia and uh, they had this big fitness thing going on. They wanted Australians to quit being couch potatoes 
and get out and exercise and walk and jog and play sports. And they had this cartoon character named Norm. And Norm was always sitting on the couch and his wife would come and she'd have her jogging clothes on and her headband on and say, come on, Norm, come on. Come on, let's go play tennis. Let's go walk. Let's go do something. And Norm's sitting on the couch and Norm's got, Norm's got this big belly hanging over and bag of potato chips and everything. And she said, Norm, it's not healthy to be overweight. And Norm would say, I'm not fat. I just have big bones. And she goes, look at your stomach. He goes, I have big stomach bones. <laughs> I saw a thing on cops or something just the other night. There was a sting, and this guy breaks into this car, breaks off the uh, thing on the steering wheel, you know, hot wires it, and as soon as it does, as soon as it does it, it was a cop, it was a cop sting. All the doors in, in, in the place locks. Now this is just a couple nights ago, and here the guy. He, he's got the Slim Jim, pops the car open, breaks the thing off the steering wheel, hot wires the car, and as soon as it starts to drive, all the doors lock where he can't get out. The cops get him out, and he goes, it wasn't me. <laughs> I, mean, they, they, I mean, he's in there. And he goes, it wasn't me. And I thought, that's, those people go to my church. <laughs> I know, the, I pastor those people. It wasn't me. Number one is, you have to admit you have the problem. And number two in the buck stops here is you have to stop blaming others for your problem. Now listen to me, we're talking about family curses, the iniquities of the father passed down the third and the fourth generation, but we're not talking about blaming them. The iniquities are passed down, but if you're going to change, you have to not blame anybody but yourself. You have to look at it and say, you're right, I'm the dude, Samuel, that did the deed. In marriage counseling, whenever we bring husband and wife in, they always come in, and the husband knows exactly what the wife must do to change, and the wife knows exactly what the husband must do to change. But in marriage counseling, the way to get this broke free is, is you look at the husband and say, now what must you do to make it better? And then you look at the wife and say, what must you do? Because in marriage counseling, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, you know what? That's an inherited iniquity. Go all the way back, guys, to the Garden of Eden. And God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat the tree. It's mine. Don't eat it. I can't tell you how I struggle with not teaching this during offering. Because how many times do people not pay their tithe and go, well, you know, I just can't. I know you're God. But I just can't do what you tell me to do. You don't understand my situation. Well, I got real quiet on this side. I got to move over to this side of the building here. There's some tithe robbers over here. I can feel it. God says, don't eat of that. Don't do that. So Adam and Eve go and do it. And the next thing to know, they're hiding. God comes and says, where are you? How many know that God knows exactly where we are? Hello. He comes and says, where are you? And he says, Adam says, we're here in the bushes, Lord, hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? What have you done? How many know God knows why we're hiding? And he knows what we've done. And he says to him, why are you hiding? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat? Now, I don't know what would have happened if, had Adam go, yes, forgive me, I'm guilty. I don't know what would have happened, but that's not what he did. He said, wasn't me, it was that woman. 
And by the way, Lord, whom may I remind you, you gave me. Now I want you to think about it. We're laughing. Why don't you think about it? Immediately, the very first sin, he blamed the woman and God. Hello. Moi? No, it was the woman that, <clears throat> just a thought, you gave me? Goes to the woman, what have you done? Wasn't me. The snake. Goes to the snake, says, what have you done? He said, can't help it. You made me a snake. Hello. I just can't help myself. You know, the Bible says that God will not allow us to be tempted with anything beyond that which we can handle. Folks, we've just learned in four tapes how to be set free, how to go from the war zone to the winning zone, how to get set free. Now we need to realize that once the door is shut, we can do something partnering with the power and the anointing of God so that door will never open again. We've got to realize that the buck stops here. We're dealing with family curses, but that doesn't mean we can excuse ourselves because of what's been passed down from generation to generation. This is really good. We can't control what has happened to us, but we have all control in what happens, happens through us. We can't control what happened to us, but God has given us the power to control what happens in us or through us. Listen to this one. It says, circumstances may have robbed you of your past. Now stop them so they don't rob you of your future. If we're going to be set free, we've got to admit that we've got the problem. How many have ever read Pogo? The prophet Pogo in the Sunday papers? He said these words years ago, and it's become famous. He said, I found the enemy, and he is us. Stop, step number one in stopping the curse is admitting that we have the problem. Step number two is we're not, God's not here to cover up. He's here to clean up. Turn with me in Romans chapter 8 real quick. God is not here to cover up the problem. I thank God for every organization that helps, let's say, alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever. But guys, I want you to know something. I am not a recovering drug addict. I'm a delivered, set free, born again, ex-drug addict. Do you understand? I don't get up every day and battle with this. We're not talking about covering up. We're talking about cleaning up. We're not talking about putting a lid on it, controlling it. We're talking about being delivered and set free. Look at Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 11. This says, but if the spirit of him, that's Jesus, who are, are, are that's a, of God, God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The wages, the earnings of sin, we talked about this before, the earnings of our sin is death. Drug addiction, alcoholism, all these things that the devil attacks us is just a prelude to the final death. Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. And that same spirit that brought Jesus up from a dead being, that same spirit lives in us. So in other words, where there's the life of God, there cannot be the spirit of death. 
That same resurrection power, that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives also in you. 2 Corinthians, let me read it to you, 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That means that you don't have to struggle with this. I sat with a man that's a tremendous friend of ours, great man of God. About three years ago, Tiz and I were doing a Bible conference, and I sat with this guy. He's on television. He's a good friend of ours at this church, and he's been drug-free and alcohol-free for about 15, 20 years. And he's, we, we were fellowshiping with him, and because he can trust us, he and his wife opened up, and he says, Brother, he said, you mean to tell me you don't battle every day? with fighting drugs? I said, no. He said, man, would you pray for me? He said, I've been clean for, I can't remember now, 15 or 20 years, but he said, every day I got a battle with this. We laid hands on him. I taught him the word real quick there. We laid hands on him. He's been not only drug-free, but he's been attack-free ever since. It's the truth we understand that makes us free. We're not talking about God just giving you the willpower. We're talking about God giving you the inner deliverance as we just taught so that you don't have to battle with this anymore. Look at real quick Matthew chapter 11. It's hard to teach the Bible without going to the Bible. Amen? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, just real quick. Jesus is speaking, and he says, and, and you know what? Let, let me say this as I'm about to read it for all of us here and those listening by tape. When God's dealing with an area of our lives, he is never pointing a finger of accusation, but he is reaching out a hand of healing and deliverance. Jesus is the one who comes to set the captive free. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And gang, the church has got to quit kicking the brethren and the, and the sisterin <laughs> when they make a mistake. You've heard it said all the time, the Christian army is the only army in the world that kills its wounded. There's none of us, none of us that are flawless. So when somebody makes a mistake or somebody gets wounded by the, whether it's a, somebody in the congregation or a pastor, quit kicking them. Start getting them healed by the blood of Jesus. In admitting it, see, a lot of, let me say this, a lot of times Christians have a hard time admitting they have a problem because so many Christians condemn them for a problem. Look at what Jesus said in verse 28. He said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You got a problem, something weighing you down, come to me. Jesus didn't say, go get cleaned up and then come. Christianity is a come-as-you-are party. It's a come-as-you-are party. Come to me. You got a burden? You got something that's yoking you down? Come to me, and I will give you rest. Look at what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is giving us the invitation to come to him. And when we come to him, he will in no way condemn us. Guys, I can't help but think, somebody that's listening to this tape needs to hear this. I can't help but think of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, man, he blew it. We all know he blew it. He did as, as, as bad as anybody could do being a Jewish son. The older brother condemned him for it. But the Bible says when he came to his senses, he came back to his father's house, and his father ran out to meet him. 
ran out to greet him. The first thing that happened was he threw his arms around his shoulders. And so many times we think that's just a show of love and affection. And that's definitely part of it. But it was more than that. He ran to meet him and threw his arms around because that son had violated the family name. He embarrassed the family name with the harlots and the drugs and the alcohol and then with the pig pen. And so when dad ran to meet him, he ran to meet him because that son, according to Jewish tradition, should be stoned. And so the father ran out and covered the son by his love and by his mercy. And he gives an example to us as Christians that if a brother or a pastor or a sister falls, we're not to point at them, but we're to run out and cover them so they can be brought back into dad's house and be made every whit whole. So there's somebody, I can tell you this by the Holy Ghost right now, there's somebody either in this room or listening to this tape and you feel condemned because of your past. Jesus said, come to me. The prodigal son came back to his father, and his father never once. Now, the older brother mentioned the past. Christians mentioned the past. But God, the father, never mentioned the past. He said, my son, which was dead, is now alive. Let's have a party and celebrate the victory of my son coming home. That's the Christianity we're talking about. See, the devil will say, we're talking about not covering up, but cleaning up. The devil will say, you'll never change. When I became, see, I'm from the inner city. And in the inner city, they have a saying, once a junkie, always a junkie. They told my mom and dad, your son's a drug addict. He'll never change. We're not talking about going on methadone. We're talking about going on Holy Ghostadone. The world says you'll never change. But the word says, who the son sets free is free indeed. So number one is, is admit we have a problem, the buck stops here. Number two is we come to Jesus not to cover up, but to clean up. We're not talking about, about just resisting, we're talking about being delivered. Number three is I want to show you three steps in breaking the generational curses. Three foundations in breaking the generational curse. Number one, you must be born again. That's the key. You must come to Jesus and receive Christ as your Savior. Through the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, no longer shall the father eat sour grapes and the children's teeth set on edge. So number one, you must be born again. Number two, you have to fight the battle. There is a battle. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, we are co-laborers with God, but you have to fight the battle spiritually. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians verse 10. There's a battle that's taken place. I'll tell you something. The devil did not want me delivered of drugs. The devil did not want me delivered of anger. And once I was delivered, he wanted me falling back into what I was before. There is a battle. The faith message doesn't say there is no battle, but the faith message says that when we fight Goliath, we win the battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Anger is a spiritual problem. Addiction is a spiritual problem. Uh, depression is a spiritual problem. 
Racism is a spiritual problem. And let me say this, and I don't in any way say this to put down the efforts. Thank God for the efforts that everybody does. Folks, abortion is not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. It, abortion is, is a sign of the spiritual condition and temperature of our nation. We're not going to stop abortion by simply laying in front of an abortion clinic. I'm not opposed to that, but it's not going to change anything. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Number one, we're in a war. Number two, the war to be won won't be won through carnal ways, but it's going to be won through spiritual ways. And so then he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I just did a teaching here at New Beginnings. I think I've got, what, 30 weapons or 33 weapons. Now listen to me. You cannot defeat the devil by standing up to him and saying, in your marriage or in your home or whatever, by saying, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The devil goes, good. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. There's no power in saying, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. There's power in, number one, if they're mighty in God, there's not power in saying they're mighty. There's power in knowing what those weapons are. Now, I'm going to go over 33 weapons right now. No, I'm not. No. If you want to know what the weapons are, you can write and get the tapes. But we're in a spiritual battle. God has given us spiritual weapons. We need to know what those weapons are, and then we need to know how to use them. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, look at verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now listen, church, the Bible here is saying, God is teaching us, number one, is that we can be strong in the Lord and we can be strong in the power of his might. We can be strong. Then he tells us how to do it. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that word wiles is the word stratagems, where we get the word, as in a battle, strategies. He says, be strong in the Lord by putting on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the strategies the devil will bring against your life. Then he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen to me. The government's not our enemy. The people down the road aren't our enemy. The neighbor's not your enemy. Your, next, your ex-husband or your ex-wife's not your enemy. Your in-laws or your outlaws aren't your enemy. The enemy is a spiritual enemy. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, when you have the armor of God and the devil attacks you, you'll be able to defeat him. Now, I wonder how many Christians got up today in your prayer and literally, spiritually put on the armor of God. Did you go through and say, I have my loins girt about with truth. I have on the breastplate of righteousness. I have on the helmet of salvation. I have the shield of faith. I have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, most of you Christians went to battle today, but you went naked. See, some of you are looking at me, you didn't do it. You didn't put on the armor of God today. And yet the word of God says you're in a war. 
Can you imagine if they'd have showed the Gulf Wars and here comes all of our troops out and they got the, the enemy's got the tanks and the bombers and the fighters and all that and here comes our troops out and they're streaking. <laughs> Who would have won the war? Why? Because we didn't use the weapons that we had. Folks, this, that's not in there just so we can have a little, uh, I have the armor of God on and we can put, draw little Jesus soldiers for the Sunday school room. That's on there because you are in a war. You're in a war today. You'll be in a war tomorrow. You'll be in the war the next day. And you'll be, in, unless you die or the rapture takes place, you're in a war. Now, greater is he that's in us, but my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Folks, I got up today and I said, I cover my loins with truth. I have on the breastplate of righteousness. I have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I have on the helmet of salvation. Now, I have a whole tape series on that, too. You ought to get them and listen to them. What does it mean to have my loins girt about with truth? What does that mean? I mean, if it's in there and the weapons are mighty, we ought to know what they mean. Amen. It's like um, when you give a soldier a gun, but you don't show him how to use it. So here comes the enemy, so he's got this gun that can shoot these great big bullets 30 a second, but he doesn't know how to work it, so he goes out there and tries to hit the enemy with the gun. Boy, we've just wasted a really good weapon. Do you understand? Folks, we can win this thing every day, but we've got to know what those weapons are. Hallelujah. Number four, okay, we not only stop the curse, but you have to determine to reverse the curse. Now, let me show you how to reverse the curse. Number one, find out who the enemy is. The enemy is not people. The enemy is not circumstances. We battle not with flesh and blood. One of the reasons why Christians never win the battle, they're fighting with their husband, they're fighting with their wife, they're fighting with their neighbor, they're fighting with this person, they're fighting with this. Folks, you can't win when you're dying in the wrong battlefield. We battle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, power. If you fight people, you can't win. If you fight the devil, greater is he that's in you than anything that can come against you. Number two in reversing the curse is you have to learn to forgive people who have hurt you. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I have a whole tape series on this too. And they said, what Jesus said, they said, Lord, when you pray, miracles take place. When we pray, nothing happens. Teach us how to pray. And he said, when you pray, say our Father. That's one of the greatest revelations I can give you. When you pray, say our Father. Then he says, hallowed be, be thy name. We enter in his gates with praise. We praise who he is. We don't ask him to be what he already is. Somebody say amen. And then it goes all the way down. But one time it says our Father. One time it says hallowed be thy name. One time it says give us this day our daily bread. One time it says thy kingdom come, thy will be done. One time it says lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But three times it deals with forgiving. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we, on the condition that we, forgive others their trespasses against us. For if we do not forgive others, God cannot forgive us. How many of you have ever sinned since you've been a Christian? Everyone in the building here raised their hand, and you listening by tape, raise your hand too, or you've sinned again because lying is a sin. How many of you want Jesus to forgive you of that sin and receive him as Jehovah's Sith canoe and Jehovah Mekadesh so you can have your blessing? That is automatic with one condition. And that one condition is 
that if you want Jesus to forgive you of your sin, then you must forgive others of their sin against you. For if we do not forgive, then God cannot forgive us. But it's one of the greatest revelations I ever received. I, could, I didn't believe in getting even. I believed in getting ahead. I would hold a grudge for years. I kept score. But I'll tell you something, God delivered me of that. You know, the Bible says to love your enemy, pray for them, do good for them. You can't do that unless you realize that person is not your enemy. If I laid hands on you and healed you, and you all know the answer, so you're going to cheat. But if I go out to another church, and I, and I teach on this, because if, if I have one chance to preach in a place, I preach this. Because bitterness and anger and looking to the, if you're looking at your past, you'll never see your future. If I lay hands on you, I ask the church, if I lay hands on you and pray for you and you get healed, you get blessed, who healed you? The church will always go, God did. I said, now if I do something and hurt you, who hurt you? And they'll always go, you did. Why is it we give God the glory, which we should, but we give man the blame, which we shouldn't? People are tools. If they're in the hands of the creator, they create blessing. If they're in the hands of the devil, He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They're destroyers. That's why we can't be gossipers and backbiters and slanderers because slandering and gossiping and backbiting is a destruction. And we're just like our father, the devil, at that time. So we've got to realize that people are not our problem. They're not our enemy. The devil is. Amen. Amen. So in order to reverse the curse is, is number one is find out who the enemy is. And number two, forgive people. Quit looking at your past. Because if you keep looking, if you put your hand to the plow, you've got your hand on the plow because God's got a harvest in front of you. Quit looking back to what should have been, what could have been, what might have been. If you're looking back, if you're looking at your past, you'll never see your future. Number five, you've got to learn to release the blessing. And the way we release the blessing is you and I as Christians need to learn to walk in love. I believe the greatest hindrance to the blessing of God in the church today is that there are too many mean Christians in the kingdom of God. Hello. The Bible says, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciple because you wear a cross around your neck. Oh, no, wait, 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 that's right. They will know that you are my disciple because you carry a Bible. They will know that you're my disciple because you lift your hands and say, Shandala, Shandala, Mama Rota Honda. They will know that you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. Now, here's the key to the blessing is you love those who aren't easy to love. That you love those who oppose you, that you love those who hurt you, that you love those who have sinned against you, kind of like Jesus did for you. Just a thought. Isn't it amazing how it's so easy for us to accept God loves us, but how hard it is for us to love somebody else? I mean, God, we deserve your love. And all, all we were were thieves, liars, drug addicts, prostitutes, religious hypocrites, whatever. What else were you? But for us to forgive somebody else is not, is not so divine. If we want to release the blessing in our lives, remember, you will reap what you so, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. But I'll tell you what, the greatest releasing of blessing in my life is when I began to love 
unconditionally love people. Didn't matter if they loved me or not. I, I say all the time, I have no enemies. People say, what do you mean? There's a lot of people that don't like you. They, yeah, but I don't have any enemies. I mean, they can be wrong if they want. They can not like me because I'm so extremely lovable. <laughs> but I have no enemies because I've made a choice. Number six, we have to learn to control the way we think. But the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me give you three keys very quickly to control the way you think. Remember, we talked the spirit of the mind. Number one, believe in a God who believes in you. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your dad wants you blessed. The blood of Jesus has covered every area of your life. You're to be the head and not the tail. You're to be above only and not beneath. Believe in a God. He is not a hard taskmaster. He's a good God. Number two, which is just as important, is not only believe in God, believe in yourself. Okay, you've got to believe that God has ordained you to be a winner. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to get blessed. Somebody's going to get healed. Might as well be me. You've got to believe in yourself. So many times we look at what God wants to do. We go, well, we know God. God, how many know God can do anything? How many believe he wants to do anything? Now, here's the real question. How many believe he wants to do it for you? See, you have, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I know what he did. And he shed his blood. What you did is not as powerful as what he did. No matter what you've sinned, no matter what you've done, the blood of Jesus has paid the price for that. Believe in God, believe in yourself, and last, believe in your destiny. God says, I've come to do you good and not harm. Folks, whatever it is that you believe God can do for you, you're wrong. Whatever you believe God can do for you, you're wrong. Because whatever you believe, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that. And then your faith will grow to the next level. And God will go, you're still wrong. Because I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And then we can pray for this level. And then God goes, but you're still wrong. Because I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. So believe in your God, believe in yourself, and believe in your destiny. Because it's more exciting than what you can even imagine. The last one is, number six was change your thinking. The last one is, and boy, this is, this is so important, is change your attitude. Romans 8, 28, you know it's next to John 3, 16 is my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those that love God. Folks, listen to me. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Hebrews talks about the evidence of your faith. Now listen to me. Your attitude is an evidence of your faith. If you walk around defeated and mully-grubbing and murmuring, it is evidence that your faith believes that you're not going over, you're going under. But the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Rejoice in the Lord always. Doesn't matter what's going on. The ten spies come and bring the evil report. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now look at me. I know people that God wants to so bless them, but they never see a smile on their face. You never see a victorious attitude. You never see this, and God says, no matter what I want to do, your faith limits me to what I can do. You know, I don't understand that. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did you allow us? 
to limit what you could do. You know, if it were me, when they got to the, to the promised land, I'd have grabbed them all and thrown them across. Get in there. But they literally talked themselves out of the blessing of God. We're going to die. We're going to die. And God says, as truly as I live, that which you have spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you. See, it's, it's our attitude, gang. Remember when David got to the camp and all the Israeli soldiers are hiding in their tent because they're looking at the size of Goliath? See, when they looked at how big Goliath was, they saw how small they were. But when David looked at how big his God was, he saw how small Goliath was. Attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. When? When? When everything's good, when everything's sunny, when the sun... No, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because you didn't do it the first time I told you. And when you rejoice, which is an evidence of your faith, because God inhabits the praises of his people. Let, let me throw this in real quick. If God inhabits the praises of his people, I wonder who inhabits the complaining of his people. Just a thought. When we praise God, we invite the power of God. When we murmur and complain, we invite the destroyer of the blessing of God. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, because when you do, the Lord is at hand. Who the Son sets free is not only free, but we are free indeed. Yeah.